welcome to another episode of On Repeat, the podcast with me, Hattie Winter. And with me, Ellie Rashid. Um, Ellie, can you believe that we are 10 episodes in? <laughs> I actually... <Ten. laughs> this year has gone so quickly and slowly at the same time. I mean, I kind of thought with lockdown, it was really slow, but mm. it all also seems like yesterday. Um, yep. And doing all these remote podcasts has been pretty strange, but... Very strange. It's now basically October. We're officially in autumn, I think. January, February, December, isn't it? (laughs) 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 Woohoo! Anyway, for our 10th episode, we are going to be talking to Slow Shudder, a.k.a. Amanda Mayo. A Miami-born, Seattle-based recording artist, vocalist, producer, DJ and coach. Indeed, there are many strings to Amanda's bow, and that's also the same for her music. Her sound is super versatile and it encompasses so many genres such as indie, electronic, dance, experimental and alternative music and culminates in a way that could best be described as forward-thinking pop. And we love to hear it. So very characteristic of our podcast, we've really got a fusion of lots of different genres and bringing you something new as usual. Indeed. And before we do kick off the interview, a little bit more info, a little bit more context about the lovely Amanda. She released her debut single, Call You Back, in 2016, whilst obtaining her master's degree in popular music from Goldsmiths University of London at the exact same time. How many people can say that? Since then, she's been steadily releasing original music, collaborations and remixes, both independently and through labels. I definitely recommend checking out Interstellar on Spotify. These labels include the likes of Bitbird, Palettes, Next Wave, Ultra Music, Moving Castles and Not Like That. She's also had releases featured by outlets including Ear Milk, Acid Stag, Indie Shuffle, Asymmetric Magazine, She Makes Music, Chromatic Club, Burp FM and Crack in the Road. As I said, one woman show and we love to see it. We love to hear it. I'd really recommend that you give um, Slow Shudder a listen. She's actually got a new single called Time Now for Ghosts and it's out on October the 16th. It was written, produced and mastered entirely by her. So, you know, Hattie, you were not wrong when you said that. (laughs) She really is a one-woman show, which is fantastic. Yes, it really, really is. So stay locked into this episode where we get a real overview of Amanda's career so far and the lessons she's learned. We go from living in more or less a cupboard and teaching herself garage band to working in a music licensing company, the trials and tribulations of being a DJ and her new fan role as a coach, where she helps to build the confidence of other artists, imparts her knowledge and supports them to understand the music business. So yeah, we hope that you enjoy. We hope that you love this story about someone whose career has gone from the East Coast to the West Coast of the USA, across the Pacific, to South East London and back again. Don't forget that this was a lockdown episode, so you know, our audio is not always going to be perfect, but hey ho, such is life. And don't forget, we've got all of the links in the show notes. We'll tell you where you can find out more about Amanda, how you can pre-save her upcoming music, and how you can like us on Facebook at On Repeat The Podcast and follow us on Instagram with the same name. So yeah, hope you love it. P.S. If you heard some meowing, it's just my cat. He's absolutely fine. He just really wants to be on the podcast. So um, my artist name is Slow Shutter. Um, Real name, Amanda Mayo. Um, I am a recording artist, uh, producer, DJ, vocalist, songwriter. Um, we have worked in the music business behind the scenes as well. Um, I am really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah. We're so happy to have you. That's such a great bio. <laughs> and yeah, we're very happy to have you. You're very far away, but we're very happy to have you. <laughs> slow, sh- slow shutter. Yeah. How did you get that name? Where does that come from? Um, so... I had a different name in New York um, when I started off as a producer and DJ, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I <laughs> went by an anagram of my name um, uh, that was Anomaly uh, cool. Code. Yeah. And I did, um, <laughs> I started off making like really bad dubstep. Um, and <laughs> hey, didn't we all? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I had been, um, you know, DJing mostly um, as a DJ, I'd been. Um, you know, playing a lot of parties in New York, uh, ended up playing a lot of clubs 
working in the corporate world. And as much as I enjoyed doing that, I I thought like, I really want to have a side project where I can release anything I want. It doesn't have to be connected to dance music in some way or this project. Um, so I was thinking about the different visual things that could represent like a shifting. Um, and I thought about the slow shutter camera technique um, of having uh, motion captured. So I was like, oh, this is cool because it can kind of capture the motion of myself uh, on my journey as an artist. And um, I changed it to slow shutter to have it be kind of a play on words and have it be this more organic, like physical response um, as well. So it's not just a capture, but like an actual feeling and experience. Wow. That's really cool. Oh, thanks. That's, uh, <laughs> I was always, I always wondered about um, where you got your oh, name cool. from. And that's a great story. Yeah. Um, and forgive my ignorance, but was dubstep big in New York? I always <laughs> yeah, thought it really never left. Like, it so I, I, the company I worked for at the time for music licensing was based in the UK. And I had a ton of friends over there, um, just digital friends. And um, my one of my coworkers was a UK funky um, DJ who sent me a bunch of music all the time, just saying like, oh, here's like what I'm getting um, in my promo emails that I think you might like. Because I had been into like glitch and like the stuff I was um, producing when I was like really first starting out, um, like 2007, around then, was like very strange, like... I like kind of sounded like if Avex Twin and Square Pusher were bad, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I would like send him things. I'd be like, "Oh, do you have any production notes for me?" And he'd be like, "Just keep going." <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but he was very kind to like just open up my musical um, landscape and and share a bunch of things that he'd been playing out at his shows and. Um, I was getting into dance music on my own just through, uh, you know, being hired to DJ because friends of mine would be like, oh, you make music, you must DJ too. And I'm like, huh? Uh, but my first, <laughs> <laughs> my first DJ sets were with like my sampler, like my APC 20. And I would like map oh, cool. everything in Ableton, like all the songs in Ableton on different squares and like play different samples from different songs at different times. And it, it worked, but it was weird. And it took like hours and hours of prep. But, um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I played a wedding at that time and I was so over, like, I wasn't used to getting requests. So people would come up and they'd be like, Oh, can you play like this song by, you know, Rihanna? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, and I'm, like, searching through for where is it, like, where is it in this, like, you know, 100-plus song <laughs> playlist. And I, like, start playing it, and it, like, starts, like, halfway through the first verse, and they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel so bad for, for DJs. We, I think we had a conversation with Charles Vaughan, someone else we were mm. speaking to. I love him. You know Charles. Oh, yeah, of course yeah, you know Charles. Yeah. It's a small world, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, we were saying, because um, I, I don't DJ, I'd love to try at some point, but the whole thing with requests, like it does make you think twice, you know, like <laughs> I'm not going to lie, there have been times where I've had a good time at a party and I have gone up to the DJ and I I, I should think twice about this oh, now but it's fine I mean I, I honestly feel <laughs> <Thank> like <you. laughs> like most of the time like now that I know what I'm doing I've been DJing for nine years so I'm like if someone comes up with a request I'm like I got you and like before all of this started I had some cool residencies um where you know I was doing just pop and hip-hop and R&B and people would come up and they'd give me like $20 to play a request. I'm like, you don't oh, have to yes. give me anything. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll take, take it. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, What's I was. The... <laughs> Go on. Have you, sorry, have you had um, any requests where you've just been like, nah, I no. can't play that? But, like, some that you've just not wanted to play? Or do you just play them? I mean, I think for me, there was a time where I was much more, I was a music snob, like definitely, um, earlier in my career, where I would be like playing more, you know, I, I've i made a lot of uh, my income from music from playing corporate and um, club shows. And at the beginning of that journey, 
I would definitely have moments where I was like, I really don't like this music. But then the more I played it and the more I saw how people responded to it, the more I came to absolutely love it. So there's songs that like at the beginning of my journey, I would have scoffed at that now I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like making a hundred people's night. Like I can't like Mm. hate on this. It's so powerful in that way um, that I have to respect it. But I would say the the only things that I can't play when people come up is like someone will come up with their phone and they'll be like, I have this amazing song on YouTube. Can you play it? And And I'll be like, if I don't have it on my flash drive, like I can't because like the to route like like, I'll have my laptop out sometimes, like, put into the aux on the CDJs or the XDJs just in case I have, like, a really difficult person who's like, I really want this particular song and for whatever reason I don't have it. But if it's something really obscure and I have to find it on YouTube, I can't like, risk, like, an ad playing out. Yeah, I was oh. just about to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, sponsored by Squarespace. Right. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like MailChimp. And I'm like, oh. oh. God. <laughs> but that's that's the only time I don't. I, I do have a sweatshirt, that a jumper that I wear um, when it's cold. And I have a set that says request with, like, a big line through it. <laughs> Ah. (laughs) that's one way of dealing with it (laughs) yeah when i play that it shows people usually just don't (laughs) request anything but if they do they'll usually apologize first and then i'm like no it's fine i'll make an exception (laughs) and then they feel really special i mean that's really brave of that man to to be like here's my youtube oh that's i'd never do that multiple times that i would say that's like once every three or four shows wow oh wow yeah People love their YouTube, I guess. Yeah, and a lot of times I'm like, it's like something with like, you know, 10 views. I'm like, it's super obscure and it makes me curious. I'm like, I want to hear this song. Like, you love this enough to bring it over to me. I'm like, is this your song? Like, there's always like this down in my mind. I'm like, did you make this? (laughs) Are you user 1251 ABC? Yeah. It's really nice. It's really nice to hear that you've got like your own coping mechanisms in a way for things that happen and like all sorts of strategies for the back pocket. Um, and I'm also just like really fascinated to hear about the amount of things that you do. I mean, there's like DJing, um, producing. You work as an artist. You do you do a number of different things. And um, I mean, before we go into all of them, I was just wondering, um, do you ever find it? a little bit isolating because I imagine that a lot of what you do is kind of you're in your own space a lot and obviously you get the the requests and the interaction with the audience sometimes but a lot of the time you're making a lot (laughs) you're making these decisions on your own you're creating playlists I imagine um I mean I'd love to know it's a completely different Mm. world for me because I I collaborate a lot as a musician um and work a lot with live music um but I'd yeah I'd love to hear a different sort of perspective yeah, I, I I looked you up before all of this. I've just uh, followed you on on SoundCloud oh. and stuff, and I'm really excited to hear your band. Um, I <laughs> I honestly, it was, when it comes to collaboration, like I do, I'm very fortunate to get to collaborate a lot as well. Um, but I also am very fortunate that I am like an extreme uh, social introvert. So like I I like enjoy social interactions but I definitely like recharge on my own. And um, I've spent, you know, weeks by myself before and not really thought twice about it, Um, which I'm realizing um, as time goes on, especially through all of this, that that's quite rare. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't get that same kind of like, oh, I need people um, feeling that I, I think I'm realizing a lot of other people are like, they feel kind of an absence there. Whereas like, that takes for me... I would say like two weeks or so. Um, so, so working on music, like, um, I think it's very relaxing. Like when I'm by myself, um, I find that like more ideas come to me. I, I get in the zone a lot, uh, in a deeper way than I do when I'm with other people. And, uh, my partner and I like are really fortunate that we're 
uh, we found a house to move into that's like around the same price as our apartment right now. Because as you can see, I'm in my closet. <laughs> I did wonder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, because um, he's on a work call. <laughs> so, um, but you know, with with the lockdowns, one of our friends uh, or a couple were in LA, uh, stuck down there. Um, so I was taking care of their plants and they were like, you can just use our apartment if you want to work down there. And that was so incredible. Like I would like go down at like 9am. I'd be like, bye babe. And I'd come back up at like (laughs) (laughs) 9pm, unless I was getting food. Um, it's just like, yeah, I, I think isolating is, um, is something that I don't see as a bad thing. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I think what, what does feel bad is when, um, especially when I was first starting out and part of why I came to Goldsmiths was, um, because I felt like I didn't have like a network of other artists to bounce ideas off of and feel connected to in that way. Cause I think what's really hard is, you know, at the beginning of my, um, musical journey with all of this, I'd have, you know, I'd be making whips and, um, just trying out different ideas. I want to send those to people to uh, get feedback and know where to go next. And all of my friends, I worked, I was, before I got into music production, I was a vocalist, like, in a more serious way. And I did a lot of choir singing and I went to NYU for vocal performance. Um, so my friends were all incredible singers um, and incredible musicians, but <laughs> I would show them my production and they'd be like those are some weird sounds <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I feel like Goldsmiths is perfect for that as well like it, it so is because I like I'm the same as you like I'm a vocalist and mm-hmm. you know when you, you can do that shit like mm-hmm. you can do it but Goldsmiths is like hey do you want to do this with your voice yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I can make that into something amazing. <laughs> and I can get a qualification out of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's a win win. I feel like we've spoken about loads. Yeah. And I want to kind of backtrack yeah. and have like a timeline of like what you've done. Mm. And when? So you were a DJ in 2009. Uh, Is that when you started as? No, I started producing 2007 um, when I was 19. So you produced first? Yeah, I produced first. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I I started off um, producing actually because I had like a pre-nodule on my vocal folds. And yeah, and which I had been training as a vocalist for a long time and had done, or not like, proper training I'd been just singing for a long time um when I was a kid I did a lot of like regional theater and um opera and various things like in operas I was always like the gnome or like the little you know like just like a small figure wearing a mask running around but I just like loved me yeah (laughs) um um, yeah I'm sure Ellie you can like relate to the um yeah, but five yeah, foot one as well. I can definitely relate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's hard. Like when I got into um, NYU, I was so happy um, to be able to focus on voice in a new way. But once I got there, um, physically, it was a lot more challenging than I expected. And we were doing, you know. I, I was working the whole time I was in school, and I think that was a part of it, too. Like, I started working in nightlife when I was really young. When I got to New York, I mean, I had a fake ID when I was 14, and I was bartending when I was quite Ooh. young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I got to New York, and I was like, oh, I can pay, you know, my way through school with this. And because mm. um, I did get a scholarship, but not nearly large enough for um, what the cost of NYU and living in New York living, was. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was working some nights till four, got home by five, and I'd have to be at my lesson to sing at nine. (laughs) And my teacher would be like, you sound like garbage. What's going on? (laughs) And I was like, well, I have to work. Um, Actually, at the time, I'd probably be like, but I have to work. Um, (laughs) And um, she made me go on full vocal rest. Um, I was able to find like a a job that didn't require me to be out so late. Um, finally, like two years into my program, but up until then, um, you know, I, I was kind of like 
just like bouncing around between bartending and club jobs. And she was like, please take like a month off. Um, don't speak, don't sing. Um, I just want you to like reset your vocal folds because if you don't, you may have to have surgery. So I uh, started making music in GarageBand then um, because I was like really frustrated that I couldn't do anything else. Like I loved playing piano and guitar, but I wasn't like getting the full kind of musical um, fulfillment and challenge that I was used to as a vocalist primarily at the time. So I would take like recordings of myself and like warp them and make them like nightcore before I knew what nightcore was. <laughs> <And> <laughs> just like mess with that and like chopped and screwed when I was like, you know, not really sure what that was either. And I would like take stuff and like really slow it down, like take something and make it like 40 BPM and like mm. you know, just mess with the audio. Um, and that like was so fun to me that I actually went to NYU and I was like asking my advisor if I could switch into music technology <laughs> instead. <laughs> but wow. yeah, but they were like, if you do, you're going to lose your scholarship. You're going to um, have to do, I come in with like some credits ahead of time so that um, I could do three years full time. And then my fourth year, I was able to work full time and then just be in class part time. And they were like, if you switch, you're going to have to have a full four four years um, with like a full-time schedule and I just couldn't afford it. So I was like, okay, I'll finish the vocal degree, um, but just keep doing this for fun on the side. And I took a bunch of electives in production um, because we could choose any kind of music related elective that we wanted. And I switched to Logic um, after the first class and yeah, just for a while. It so you're was, like, I'm done, garage band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Thank you, but right. goodbye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, you know, it's quite expensive, like the software. So I only had Logic Express on my computer, um, and I was using Logic Pro at at on campus. Um, but then when I graduated, I was like, oh no, like how am I going to make like music the way I wanted? Um, that's when I switched to Ableton because I like was researching. I went to a bunch of like free workshops in New York um, for production and they were like a lot of times they were sponsored by Ableton, even if they weren't like necessarily for Ableton, which I thought was cool. And I um, decided to try out Ableton with my um, first paycheck from my music licensing job, which at the time was an internship. Um I paid like my rent and then my second paycheck, I started like, I put like Ableton on a credit card and started like putting money towards Ableton <laughs> and um, yeah, just like built up anytime I had any extra cash. Um, I lived in a closet, so it was great. Like I had, I was only paying <laughs> 700 a month in New York, which is like unheard of. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, like I can like, I just keep living in this closet until I have all the gear that I want. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was like the first like four or five years of producing. It was just me and like my weird sounds. And, um, when I got into it a bit more, I feel like I've had a much slower journey than a lot of people just because so much of it was just me figuring it out on my own. Um, mm. but when I, I was in my music licensing job, I got that when I graduated, um, in 2010, and it was really eye-opening for me um, because it was a startup. So it's called Audio Network um, is the company, and they're quite big now. Um, but at the time, I was the seventh person hired in New York. They had, like, a bigger team in London and Maplestead, which is out near Colchester. Um, and my team was just, like, you know, they were very diverse like everyone was from like a different background and in the music industry and they were all like just very uh throwing me into the fire basically with everything like on my first day yeah. um my supervisor was like oh like you know put together these playlists for this thing and um I was like oh okay <laughs> like <laughs> like 22 I had no idea what I was doing and I was like I've never listened to much bossa nova outside of what I've sung in choirs and they were like <laughs> make this bossa nova playlist for this Canadian tv client yeah. and I was like okay <laughs> and I'm like searching this library I'm like favorite, yeah. is this bossa nova and like I had my supervisor or yell at me and I cried um, but, but like I cried almost every day I think <laughs> like at that job at the beginning 
<laughs> just because I wanted so badly to do a good job. <laughs> and oh, I like yeah. felt like any mistake was like, I'm going to get fired just because, you know, the recession at the time, job security was so low. Like the fact that I had anything outside of a bar after working in bars for like eight years. Um, well, I worked in things other than bars, but like I just assumed I would be like bartending for a while. Um, so I was so, so grateful to be there and wanted so badly to be like perfect employee. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think that was like, it just extended um, my journey with production and DJing because I was doing a full time job, which often had me working like nine or 10 hours a day. Um, I mean, you both know how the music industry is and you finish and you go to a networking event or you go to a party and you the job just keeps oh, going. God, it never yeah, I never. <laughs> Like in a good way, exactly. you could just like keep going on yeah. and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the number of times I was out until like two in the morning with a client and I would be like, is this appropriate? Like some like 40 year old man like telling me like all of his like troubles. But I'd be like, should I go home? Shouldn't you go home? <laughs> like, I know you're sad, but like, I'm like, I could be your kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know it's a weird, weird world, but I learned a lot and I, I tried to just absorb as much as I could. Um, I mean, there were plenty of moments where I, I felt quite frustrated, but I think that's just the case in the music industry for anyone who's not a straight white man. So, um, you know, salary things that I realized only later, um, I could have been getting much more. Um, but that's, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, yeah. isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But and when I came, could have been like, I yeah. didn't have to live in this closet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, I didn't have to live in this closet. Um, I lived in a, like, it was like a one bedroom with a storage unit and I lived in what was the storage unit. So you would open the door and it would just be my twin single bed there and I put all my stuff on the walls <laughs> I know ridiculous now thinking about it I'm like huh <laughs> like how did I do that but it didn't really bother me I was just happy to have my own room um but yeah no I feel like this is taking so many twists and turns um I know and I love it okay yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much it's uh yeah it, it's like hard I'm like how do I condense like 12 to 13 years into yeah. a little timeline um but yeah, yeah goldsmiths i was 26 and at my job i was hoping to start like some sort of like i was a creative consultant so i was like pitching mm. playlists um by the time i was there for like four years three years um i was like essentially like working directly with clients i had amazing clients um, that I really loved um, from companies that I think are really cool and um, production companies as well as like brands. And I was very lucky to get to work across like all the different sectors, which um, a lot of companies will kind of put you in a sector like, oh, you work with the ad space or you work with TV. And um, I was just like creative across the board. Um, and it would be like bigger projects. So like putting together like 250 plus songs um, in like a wow. couple hours, which I knew the catalog well enough that, um, you know, I could do that. Yeah. And um, how did you get into that? I mean, honestly, they they were hiring an intern to do basically just anything. And um, wow. yeah, I was still I was still no, I was just out of school. It was August when I applied and they were like, Oh, we need an intern to do mostly data entry, um, some creative work. Uh, it'd be great if it was someone who was familiar with the music industry um, and a musician themselves uh, for possible like playlist building. So I sent over like <laughs> a ridiculous like essay of a cover letter where I'm like, I want to be a music supervisor because (laughs) 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 I think that Michael Giacchino made like an amazing like soundtrack for this and that. And like, I love this person and that person like looking up every show and movie I've ever loved the music for and being like, I love them and I want to be like them. Um, And they, they, miraculously hired me um I had worked as an intern for a singer-songwriter and I managed to pitch one of his tracks um 
around a bunch and he got on an HBO show. So I did have that oh, cool. in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. And they were like, oh, well, you did that on your own, not knowing anything. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I just, uh, I, by the time I got there, I feel like I knew enough about how the industry works to have like, an internship, but I feel like my first two years was like a whole nother degree because I just learned so mm. much. And my colleagues would just, again, like, you know, they'd give me a deadline and they'd give me a brief and they'd be like, okay, yeah, put together 20 um, hip hop tracks between 90 and 105 BPM for this client. Um, it has to have an optimistic feeling. Um, you need to find a sting that'll work at the end for when it goes to commercial and MTV needs it by three. And I'd be like, it's due. <laughs> <laughs> like, so that was, <laughs> that was how I learned was just like doing it over and over again and getting feedback. So did that inform your music making? Was it like, so I'm, so they're looking for like X and I need to kind of adopt a bit of that X. Do you think that your music changed after that? Or? I think my music, um, if anything, it changed more based on what I was into as a DJ. Um, not as much what I was what I was doing with Sync. Like I was very inspired by certain artists that I I discovered through the process of getting references. Um, like I I discovered Ibei, if you know them um through a brief uh they're really cool i can send you a link after but um i remember being like oh my god like they're so amazing and it was before they had kind of taken off a bit um so that was something i was really grateful for it didn't i would say like it definitely affected my music making but in a more subconscious way um because i can't write to brief i try so hard <laughs> some artists are incredible at it they're like like my partner he can get like Oh, like, because we make some media music together now. And they'll be like inspiring future bass, like Chainsmokers-esque, uh, 116 BPM, A minor, go. And he's like, and it like, it comes out so good. And it's not a carbon copy, but it's still like very much in the vein of that artist. Um, whereas like for me, I'll try and do something like that and I'll just always end up sounding a bit weird. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's just my curse. <laughs> like. It's amazing, like hearing everything that you've done, and how did you then get into coaching artists? Because I'm I'm quite interested in the, um, the coaching aspect. Because I guess a lot of what I do is coaching as well, and like my one of my companies are actually considering paying us practitioners to do a life coaching course and I just I'm so aware that that's a real like particular skill um with huge relation back to boundaries again and uh I wonder um I'm very interested in the correlation that has with music and why you were drawn to that aspect of it yeah I mean to be totally honest, I was not really looking to get into coaching. It kind of came about naturally. I um, This has all happened just through the lockdown. So I had been doing some coaching without realizing it was coaching when I was um, teaching more like workshop-based things. So after Goldsmiths, I've taught a few workshops and um, on music production and singer-songwriting or like songwriting and singing and um how to record yourself as a top liner so like if you're someone who's collaborating with uh musicians as like the singer songwriter for the song um how to best you know vocal produce your stuff so that um you know everything sounds great and um how to work with people from a business point of view um from that side of things and uh as, as I was kind of going along, I would tell people at the workshops, like, oh, if you want to hit me up for with questions, like, please go ahead. I'm happy to, to chat with you later. And friends of mine that I spoke with, uh, we had, you know, a kind of mutual coaching between us where, like, you know, we'd be sending things back and forth and um, not just music, like, how how 
can I guess best go about this release process? Like, does this cover art look like it matches with the song? And, um, you know, when I was making my most recent uh, release, like my EP, um, uh, like as a solo artist, I, I, you know, could not have done it without the coaching of like so many of my friends. Um, and I've learned so much from, from them. And through all of this, like, uh, some of my friends were like, asking me um, for a bit more advice than usual because they were home a bit more than usual and had the time to really get into things that they normally wouldn't be able to do. And one of my friends was like, hey, I want to do like a pretty big pivot from um, being like a more EDM-based artist and video game music-based artist into uh, pop. And he was like, of all the people I've met, um, all of the friends I've made throughout my time in the music scene, like you've been working the most in the pop world. And, um, I said, sure. Like, I don't really know. Um, I haven't done one-on-one coaching before, but I'm like happy to do it. Like I haven't done it professionally. Um, and then it just, it was really, it, it felt like a combination of, um, like, being a professor because like I'm finding all these resources for him and I'm like talking him through more theoretical things. Um, and then like, uh, like a music producer, like mentor where I, you know, be giving advice on the sonic quality of things. And that both of those things hybrid with like a therapist almost where it's like, Hey, like this is, you know, something I'm a bit older than him. I mean, I'm a bit older than most of the people I know in the music scene. So <laughs> a lot of times I'll just be like, I I hear you. I know where this, you know, fear is coming from in my own life. And um, here are the things that have worked for me. Here are the things I wish I'd done differently. I can't promise that they're going to be perfect strategies for you. But like, hopefully my expertise can um, just through experience and me making tons of mistakes, I hope that that can inform you to make less mistakes. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he's been, I'm so proud of what he's done so far. We've been working together for about two months now. You know, it's just, it's been really amazing to watch him grow, um, not just as an artist, but as a person. I mean, he's wonderful and has, all of the tools in the toolkit that you need to do this. But um, for him, the biggest uh, challenge that we've been working on together is confidence and mm. Um, mm. just knowing uh, how best practices for like releasing things um, that, you know, aren't EDM because EDM has a very specific promotional um, and voice, I would say uh, for a lot of artists. And it's just kind of like, it's a bit like to me, it's just become a bit stale. Um, I mean, there's a reason so many EDM artists, like formerly EDM artists, have pivoted into different styles because, you know, mm. you can only do a certain thing sonically for so long before, like, yeah. you and the audience are going to be like, all right, like this again. <laughs> yeah, next thing. Yeah. yeah. So, and he feels that. So I think, you know, sending him artists that he's never heard of, um, sending him, he, he wasn't very aware of like blogs in general that weren't connected to EDM. So I was like, even just yesterday we had a call and I was sending him like crack magazine. And I was like, you should go through like every artist that they've featured over the last like month and listen to them and find, you know, look at their, I think he's like, you know, thinking about aesthetics right now a lot. And I was like, look at the aesthetics here, like see what inspires you. Um, because there's no clear answer. Like that's something that I feel has been eye-opening for me being on the coach end of, uh, the relationship is a lot of times he'll say like, tell me what to do. <laughs> and I'll say, you know, I'll like flip that on, on him and be like, if you want to be connected to yourself and to your art, you have to ask yourself, what do I want to do? Because if I tell you what to do, I can craft you into an idea of what I think you could be tomorrow. Um, but will you connect with that? 
probably not. Like the only person who really knows that is yourself. Um, but I think the accountability of him knowing we're going to talk every week, knowing that I am going to ask him questions, tough questions about how much has he been working? How much does he feel connected to the work? How much has he been working in ways that are um, smart versus ways that are, you know, I think expected? That's like something... A lot of like the grind mentality and the workaholic mindset was something I was very trapped within for a long time, where I'd be like, I have to write every day for hours. And like, even if I don't feel like it, I have to show up and I have to make something. And, and, you know, you can do that and a good song will come out every so often. But like, I, I realized, you know, over the past few years, actually, just how powerful it is to rest. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's been something I've been telling him is like, like be diligent about your rest the way you are about your work mm. and um then the work that comes will come from a place that's a bit more natural and less forced yeah it's so true especially in creative industries i think it's if yeah what you're saying about um the grind and and people i know who aren't musicians and just you know go for it where they work you need that space you need that creative space and time and um, actually it can just be, it can be just as valuable mm. as, as the grind as it were, because it's not like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I could probably churn out a few average emails or something, but av- it's like av- turning out average songs, you yeah. know, it's like yeah. you, it's better to just have less that are actually of quality mm-hmm. than loads but no I think it's so interesting the way that you speak about it actually I my neighbor um is a life coach and she was saying a really similar thing to you as like it's it's sort of facilitating people to make um and giving them the tools to make their own decisions rather than this is what you need to do this is what you need to do uh here's your checklist there you go done it's really you know I think it's such a special skill actually to be able to do that so yeah no but no it's such a special quality that you have and I'm so like it's so lovely to hear that you've got a wonderful portfolio career in music that utilizes all of these skills that are so creative and artistic it's just wonderful to hear it's it's so nice to hear that so thank you I feel like there's so many times where I have this like strange imposter syndrome, especially when I'm starting something new, like the coaching where I'm like, you know, I end the call and I feel good. And I'm like, okay, I think I really helped. And like, I'm excited to see what he makes. And then like, I'm falling asleep that night and I'm like, did I say something stupid? Did I say something like, you know, was I actually helpful? Um, And that's, you know, just the anxiety brain speaking. So I, I, and like, you know, same with career. Like I look back sometimes on my career and I'm like, okay, yeah, I've done some really cool things and I'm really proud of what I've made. And then there's other days I look back and I'm like, I've made nothing. I've never done anything close to what I'm capable of and like, I never will. And like, that's the strange, I think, uh, dynamic that actually like makes from people that I've learned from, like, I think that makes a good teacher for me personally, because um, I think that experience of uh, constantly questioning um is what I think leads a lot of people to answers that they wouldn't normally find. Because, you know, if you're being lectured to and you're like, hey, like, here's how you do it. Um, you know, that's that's all well and good in a way. And especially for certain fields, it's like, OK, you're finding um, you have you have a path towards what you want to do as an engineer, for instance, like if you're like an architect and you're making a building like you want to have exact information because it's very important that you do um (laughs) for things to fit together and for things to operate properly but um with music I feel like so much of it is um nebulous and you know you're you're on your own kind of uh, you're in this space that is constantly changing like internally and externally so it's like how do you navigate that um, there is no path. Every person's going to navigate it differently. So, yeah, it's nice to hear that just because <laughs> I feel uh, like, yeah, it's a uh, I think I I should probably be like kinder to myself in that way sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's it's very easy for 
people in roles like yours to not listen to what you preach necessarily mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so many questions for both of you and I like have been talking <laughs> so much <laughs> no it's about you it's not about yeah, us exactly I mean I still have questions for you because oh, you're in Seattle at the moment yeah you've lived in like loads of places yeah. in the US and around the world yeah I mean around the world just London but um wow, yeah it's yeah. a big place yeah, it's a big place <laughs> oh god I love London I miss, miss it so much um but yeah no I I lived in I grew up in Miami um I'm from there and yeah and I moved to New York when I was 18 um and I lived there until I was 26 27 and then I moved to London for my master's um I was in London until early 2017 and then um when my visa was up I left kicking and screaming um <laughs> and I was like oh god don't make me leave um went back to Miami for a few months just to save up some money um while I was working uh for my friend Steven's startup um Spinbox which is like a DIY record player um and yeah yeah he's so amazing. I remember like seeing this on like your Instagram as yeah. well like, oh this looks really cool it's super cool right um he he's so cool he's a great person and an incredible DJ um but yeah no I worked uh I worked a little bit online Remotely, because he was going between Taiwan and London, and then um, saved up enough to go to L.A., and I was in L.A. for about a year, and then I moved up to Seattle because my partner's up here, and there was a heat wave in L.A., and I was living in, um, my studio was also, like, my living space, so it was just, like, mm. um, just a bit bigger than this closet. <laughs> I feel like this whole podcast, I've been, like, I've been living in all these closets, and I've been so happy. Um, this well, we know what the... Uh... Uh, the cover is going to be for this episode yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah no I uh I loved LA I I still do um but it was just really hot there was a heat wave there and my partner was in town for a show and we were at my like little studio space and um it was like it was 115 Fahrenheit, so I think that's like 43. <gasps> oh, yeah, like, for, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, that's really high. It was really high, and I was like struggling. He was like vomiting from like how hot it was, and like it was really bad. And oh I, I turned to him, and I was like, I know this sounds really crazy, and like again, like this is me being very impulsive, but it worked out this time. Um, I was like, what if we just rent a U-Haul on Sunday morning and drive all my stuff back, and I promise I'll get you to work on time. <laughs> And he was like, and he was like, so you want to move in with me? And I was like, yeah, let's, do you want to? And, <laughs> and so, so we did that. Um, <laughs> and then I had to come back and like, obviously like sort everything out like later. But um, yeah, no, I've lived in, in Seattle since then. <laughs> Is the other music scenes very different or do you have like a favorite music scene out of the places you've lived or? Um, I think... It's it, Seattle, I definitely will say, has surprised me. I think um, I've played more shows and more. Um, I've had more opportunities here than I have had in previous cities just because I think they have a, a very deep respect for, for the local music scene and they make a big effort to um, support artists here. So I've had opportunities, like I got to play my first big festival here, um, Capitol Hill Block Party. And, um, that like Lizzo was the headliner and I was just like, oh my God, I'm sure you're going to line up with Lizzo. Oh my God. <laughs> I, know. I was obviously oh at, like God. five in the afternoon and she was like on late, but <laughs> it was still oh like mind blowingly gra- grateful for that. <laughs> oh um, goodness. but yeah, no, she, I love her so much. I'm yeah, I've gotten into sick. roller skating and she's the only person I just listened to her like, yeah her on the peak yeah same oh my god I can't get enough she's like so she's just she's so good yeah um I want to try and get her on the show oh my god <gasps> yeah do Can it imagine? do it <laughs> that would be the best um oh gosh yeah no she's she is honestly like so incredible um but yeah no I think with Seattle like I've gotten a lot of cool things here uh also just you know I have been doing this for a long time I have to remind myself so I'm like okay no I've it's also partially due to that, <laughs> but um, 
I love the London scene for I love the Southeast London scene. Um for how Hell yeah. Yeah. Like like I was I loved living in New Cross and um I was just you know, first I lived in the dorm and then I lived in a shared house on Charlotte's. Uh it was like the house was mostly musicians. Um and I feel like, you know, that had its challenges, but at the same time it I feel like there's just a closeness and a level of support and a level of like um people like wanting to collaborate and wanting to meet up and wanting to do stuff musically that um was really really inspiring like I felt like constantly inspired there and uh as a writer especially and same with LA like you know LA you meet people at a party and they're like oh you want to have a writing session like that's just like a normal thing to do New York, I, I loved for other reasons, but um, it's very, like, cold and competitive um, in that way. Like, trying to get things done over there required, like, a lot more scheduling. Everyone always had, like, three jobs, <laughs> myself included. So it's like, okay, I'm free four Sundays from now, from noon until three. <laughs> and, and someone would be like, okay, I can do, all right, four Sundays from now, I can do from one until four and it's just like negotiating like okay we got from two to three or one to <laughs> one to three um so yeah i think that's uh it's an amazing place and once you're like really getting going there obviously you've got tons of people to work with and play with but mm. um i would say getting started there it, i would say move to brooklyn <laughs> like firstly <Yeah. laughs> oh that's the dream right that's the dream <laughs> Thank you so much to Amanda for the lovely, lovely interview. We did speak to her, I think it was like her 10am. So, you know, we really did take over a morning for this. So thank you for that. We really appreciated it. And we hope that you guys have all loved the interview as well, as much as we did. You can find out more about Slow Shadow by looking her up on all the usual places. She's on Spotify and Apple Music and her Instagram and Facebook are both Slow Shadow and her Twitter is slow underscore shadow, but we'll have all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of On Repeat, our 10th episode. We hope that you are enjoying it. Do share it with a friend, your family, a loved one, in your Instagram stories, all that jazz. We love it. So yeah, see you for another wonderful episode next week. by following us at on repeat the podcast all information will be included in the show notes on repeat was made produced and edited by us and the theme music is an original piece by ellie's jazz band fujiyama and wonderfully resampled by d the producer for the podcast all of our guests give us permission to use their music thanks again for listening and don't forget to keep it on repeat <laughs>